Well, it's good to see you all here. I see most of you are sitting in the same seats that you normally sit in. So it's always good to know who's here from week to week. Uh, this is our last week on our sermon series in the Old Testament book of Jonah. And you know, it's weird about Jonah. It's, it's one of those books where it has one of the most you know, unexpected and overlooked endings in the entire Bible. And yet most people, when you say, you know, what's the book of Jonah about? They'll say it's about a guy who gets swallowed by a whale. And a few less people will say, well, no, no, it's a, the whale vomits him up and he goes and preaches to Nineveh and they repent. And, and most people will say that's the ending, that's the story of the book of Jonah. And yet it's not. There's an incredibly surprising fourth chapter. There's a very unexpecting what in the world last chapter that really is the lesson. It's the message of the book of Jonah. And we're going to pick up where Keith kind of left off last week in chapter 3. The last verse in chapter 3 is verse 10. It says this. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, I have those two words in yellow because in the original languages written in ancient Hebrew, this is something written like 2,500 years ago, the ancient Hebrew language, uh, there's something going on here, and that is those words in yellow are the exact same Hebrew word. It's, and I'm going to say it not to impress you, because I, I'm going to say it because I want to point it out a little bit later. I'm doing all this because something's coming in a minute. That this Hebrew word is ra'ah. And I'm sure I'm not saying it right. I'm sure somebody's thinking, no, it's ra'ah. You know, but it's, it's, it's ra'ah. And, and that word means evil, or it can just mean bad. It can mean disaster. It's kind of a big general word. And, you know, we kind of have that word in bad. Bad means evil, or it might mean something bad happened. That's what ra'ah is in Hebrew. And so there's a word play here that, that the Ninevites repented of their ra'ah, and so God relented from his ra'ah that he said he would bring to them. And you would expect, okay, this is the end of the story, and there'd be maybe one more verse that would say something like, and Jonah went home to his homeland rejoicing. And that would be the, they lived happily ever after kind of thing. Uh, that's not what we read. In fact, it takes a really bizarre turn in the very next sentence. Chapter 4, verse 1, says this. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, again, those words in yellow are the word ra'ah. It's the exact same Hebrew word. There's a word play going on here. So remember I said two weeks ago that the book of Jonah is one of its geniuses as literature, is the incredible economy of words that it uses. It only has 58 verses. It tells this incredibly complex, layered story in just 58 verses. And one of the ways it does it to the original readers who are reading in Hebrew is through the word play. It, it, there's something said with the words that are used, and we don't always get it here, so I want to point it out. And that is basically it's this. And that you can look at your, if you have the ESV, the English Standard Version, they even have a marginal note that says, well, the Hebrew is, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. What was exceedingly evil? Well, let's look at the word ra'ah. So the Ninevites repented of their evil, their ra'ah. So God relented from sending his calamity, his ra'ah, upon them. And this was, and it says it twice, the word appears twice in verse 1. This was 
evil, evil to Jonah. And he burned with anger. Jonah didn't like any of this. You see, everybody's releasing uh, their evil. Everybody's letting, relinquishing their evil in the story. Uh, the Ninevites are, God is relinquishing his ra'ah, and, except for Jonah. And now the narrative focuses in on where it's been heading all along. The narrative now focuses in on the evil, evil in Jonah's heart. So verse Two says this. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home back in Israel? That is what I tried to forestall, this whole repenting thing on the part of Nineveh and you relenting on the judgment and disaster you were going to send on them. I tried to stop all this by going west instead of east, and then you forced me back, and, and now I'm back in this situation and I just knew that you were going to do this. Which is what he says in the next verse. He says, I, I, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending, and I should have put that in yellow just to make the point, ra'ah, who relents in sending calamity. That word appears, we just looked at, five times in, what, three verses. See, Jonah, he feels a little tricked, a little forced by God because he's not only the recipient of God's grace as a prophet and somebody who's you know, been spoken to by God and he's been raised in Israel and they have the, what we call the Hebrew scriptures and so God has spoken to them and revealed himself to them and been gracious to them to make him his covenant people and they have this covenant relationship with God where he forgives their sin, and they have this, this connection that God promises they will have a resurrection. We saw that in the book of Daniel not too long ago. Jonah is this recipient of God's grace, but he feels a little bit tricked by God, fooled, forced into being the agent of God's grace to his enemies. And so if this right here kind of sounds familiar to you, Slow, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's because it appears six times in the Old Testament. It's kind of the John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's kind of the John 3.16-ish of the Old Testament. It goes, the first time we read it is in the second book of the Bible. It's in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 6. Remember, this is when the Israelites made a golden calf. God had delivered them from Egypt, from their slavery. He parted the Red Sea, all that stuff. And then Moses is gone for a few days, and they make this golden calf out of all their metal, out of all their gold, and they worship it and have this big sex fest to it and this worship party to an idol. And then God says, okay, I'm going to judge the people. There's nobody who deserves it more than somebody who's gotten my deliverance and gotten all the miracles, and now they're worshiping a golden calf? And Moses says, don't. You're a you're God who is... To your faithful to your promises. And God wanted Moses to say that, which is why. And so God forgave the Israelites. And then God says this, I am Yahweh. I am the I am. I am he is, a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. 
Jonah is saying these words back to God, the words that God said, because Jonah is saying God is morally flawed. God has a moral problem because there is evil in this world and there are enemies of God's people and they have committed unbelievable atrocities and they, even though they've repented, it's a short-lived repentance, everybody knows that, and God's not going to bring the judgment that he should bring. And in Jonah's mind, that is a moral flaw in God's character. And so Jonah quotes it back to God as a problem, not a, not a comfort. Can you kind of relate it all to Jonah? I mean, we don't have necessarily right now the uh, Assyrians who are committing atrocities and we're going to be taken over by them. We, we may be in a situation like that someday. There's been times in the past, but right now our enemies are problems at work. People who are slandering us, people who are lying about us, uh, people who may be ripping us off financially, family members, marriage problems. We have, we have people who are threats to us. We have people we don't like because we see them as enemies. And so if you were honest, if something bad happens to somebody who is an enemy, somebody you don't like, something bad happens in their life, are you a little bit happy? You feel like they deserve it a little bit? There's a little sense that there's some justice in the world after all. But then when something good happens to your enemies, and maybe particularly the time where things are going worse and worse for you, don't you kind of think there's a character flaw with God? Why would God allow good to happen to those who are bringing my life hell? And it doesn't seem like there's a moral justice right now that is an equation that works. That's where... That's where Jonah is with God. And so it says in verse 3 that he wants to die. He feels so miserable about this moral problem with God that he wants to die. And so God kind of comes and sits on the end of his bed. It's almost as if Jonah is stewing on his bed up in his room. And God sits down on the end of his bed. And he asks him a kind of question that maybe a good therapist might ask. He he says this in verse 4. But the Lord replied, is it right? For you to be angry? See, God's getting at anger as a sign of something deeper that's the real problem with Jonah. The real evil, evil in his heart is being displayed by his anger right now. And of course, when you're angry, who wants to hear a question like that? So Jonah doesn't want to have a conversation with God about his anger. He just gets up and walks away. He walks outside the city. That's what verse 5 says. Let's just read it. It says, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he waited to see. Waited to see what? He waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, I thought already God had relented from sending calamity, but he's wondering maybe if his threat to die and all this quoting that verse back to God might change God's mind again and that maybe God might, after all, bring fire and brimstone on Nineveh. So he, he walks outside the city. He's ignoring God. He's walking kind of away from God, doesn't want to talk to God. He's still angry, but he sets up a little mat, a little camp, and he's going to wait outside the city to see maybe there might be something to watch here after all. And he sits outside there and God still is wanting to deal with the anger issue. 
the evil, evil inside of his heart. So here's what God does. He's going to do some performance art to, to, to get Jonah's attention, the way God can do performance art through nature. And so here's what it says in, in verse 6. It says, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Now that I got in yellow because it's a double word again in Hebrew. It's he was joy joyed. He was rejoicing with a great joy. He has evil, evil. He sees evil, evil, and he has evil, evil on his heart. And he's very angry in one minute, and now he has. He wants to die, and now he has this mood swing, where all of a sudden he's got a little shade, and he's kind of finding some relief from the heat, and he is joy, joy. He is very, very happy. And so you, you kind of get to where you, you kind of see that you know he's you kind of find out that it doesn't take a genius to understand what's psychologically motivating Jonah. What really drives Jonah is Jonah. It, it, it has to do with what Jonah makes Jonah comfortable, makes Jonah happy. So now all of a sudden he's super happy because he's got some shade. God was gracious. Here's Jonah walking out and denying to talk to God and wanting God to do what God said he's not going to do. And he's out in the sun and God says, I'm just, okay, if you're going to do that and if you're going to defy me and you're going to rebel against me and you're full of anger in your heart because you have evil, evil in your heart, I'm at least going to make you a little more comfortable while you do it. So he gives him some shade. But God is trying to get to the anger. He's not really trying to provide shade. So he provides the shade out of mercy, but then, uh, it's verse seven, but at the dawn of the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Here's what God's doing. He's kind of showing Jonah what it's like, what he wishes Nineveh would experience. Here's what it's like, Jonah. I'm withdrawing my grace and I'm going to bring you the heat. I'm going to bring you a scorching east wind, and the sun is going to be so hot, you are going to be utterly miserable. And so Jonah all of a sudden wants to die again. He's back to that. So God sits on the edge of his bed, and he says this in verse 9, but God said to Jonah, here's that question again, is it right for you to be angry? I still want to talk about the anger thing. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Let's just, let's just narrow it down. How about the plant? Let's just talk about the plant. Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is, Jonah said. And I kind of picture Jonah kind of like, it is. You know, just stubborn and all this kind of stuff. And so Jonah says, it is, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And God says this in verse 10. He says, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it, or make it grow. It sprang up overnight. That's probably a figure of speech, maybe not literal. It sprang, like we say the same thing, overnight just means super quick. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. So here's, here's what God's saying is, look, you had nothing to do with the plant. You went out there in the heat because you're burning with anger at me. And I was gracious enough to give you some shade for a while. 
And then I took what I gave you out of mercy away, and you experienced the heat of your own decision. You went out in the heat. I didn't tell you to go in the heat. You're sitting in the heat because you walked into the heat. I just took the mercy away from you so you can experience the justice of your own decision. And now you want to die again. And now now God gets to the whole point. Verse 11, it says this. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Kind of a strange little last phrase there. So here's God saying to Jonah, look, Jonah, you were really super very happy about the plant because all you care about is you. And, and when I took the plan away, you were really mad because all you think about is you. But compare your self-pity to a greater pity. 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, not to mention all the animals. 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left, and that's a figure of speech. That means they're spiritually lost. They're spiritually blind. See, Jonah, you have been given my word. I have spoken to you through prophets. You're one of my prophets. And you have the Hebrew scriptures where you know who I am and you can have a relationship with me. And you know your right hand from your left because I've spoken to you. I've given you that. But I have not to them. They just have what you said. It was very little. But can you imagine... Generation after generation after generation in this machine of the Assyrian Empire. The ruthless government making everybody become a part of their horribly atrocious military, doing atrocities all throughout the neighboring places, and doing this culture of violence. Can you imagine growing up in Nineveh? All you would know, all you would ever know, is the culture, the the way life is in a culture of violence. You wouldn't know your right hand from your left when it comes to what God, who created the entire universe, would want from you. Now, they're responsible, and that's why God was going to judge them, and they repented, but he still says something incredibly generous for the most cruel and violent empire in ancient history. They don't know their right hand from their left, can't you have a little compassion on them? You wouldn't be able to be 20 years old. You wouldn't survive to 20 years old in Nineveh unless you had embraced the violence of the culture. You wouldn't have survived. You wouldn't have lived. You'd be dead. Can't you have a little compassion because they have a story that is so radically different than your story? Can't you understand? Can't you show a little compassion? Here's what God's saying. Jonah, you are a recipient of my grace. Can't you be an agent of my grace to others, even your enemies? Can't you have a bigger pity than just your self-pity? Can't you have a bigger story that drives your heart other than what's good for you right now? Can't you see other people in need of what you have, and that is my grace and understanding why. Here's the weird thing. This is the end of the book of Jonah. It ends here. 
I mean, you're wondering, is there a page missing? This is the end? And you kind of realize that God fires this arrow of a question at Jonah. And then Jonah kind of disappears. And you realize the arrow is aimed at us. See, the story of Jonah is not really the story about Jonah, is it? It's a story about you and me. It's about those who have received God's grace. Are you going to be a willing agent of God's grace, even to your enemies? In 1980s, in 1970s and 80s, there was a guy named Gordon Wilson. This picture of him here. Gordon Wilson was Scottish, and he was the leader of the Scottish National Party. And so he was also a member of parliament in the British House of Commons for over a decade. And he and his daughter in 1987 went to a Remembrance Day service. That's kind of like our Memorial Day in the United Kingdom. They went to a Remembrance Day Day service in 1987. If you were around then, or if you know history, uh, that was a real turbulent time because there was this problem in Northern Ireland. And the British were kind of occupying the heavy hand in Northern Ireland. And so there's this group that started called the Irish Republican Army, and they would do violence against British targets, blowing up things, killing people. And that was what was going on ever since the 1960s. And so at this Remembrance Day ceremony where he is there, Gordon is there with his daughter Mary, a bomb detonates that the IRS, the IRA had planted. Not the IRS, I'm not saying. This is, the IRA had planted. And, and a bomb goes off, and they're both buried under six feet of rubble. And, and he was rescued, and from his hospital bed, right after being rescued, he speaks to the media. And here's what he says. He says this. He says, we were both thrown forward, rubble and stones and whatever in and around us, all over us and under us. He says, I shouted to Mary, was she all right? And she said, yes. She found my hand and said, is that your hand, Dad? Four times I asked her, if she always said yes, she was all right. When I asked her the fifth time, are you all right, Mary? She held my hand tightly and gripped me as hard as she ever could. She said, Daddy, I love you very much. Those were her exact words to me. And those were the last words I ever heard her say. And he goes on, I have lost my daughter and we shall miss her. But I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge, bitter talk is not going to bring her back to life. I shall pray tonight and every night for the men who did this that God will forgive them. And see, Gordon Wilson was a devout, devout Christian, devoted Christian. And, you know, I didn't put this in there because we had to, I had to kind of shorten the quote, but I'll just say it now. Is that, and he said, I don't know the purpose why my daughter was killed. I don't know what greater purpose there is. I just know, I just know that God is good, and so I know he has a plan. I don't know what it is. I don't have to. What's weird is that 
this was 1987, November, the end of 1987. By, if you look at any kind of, if you just Wikipedia it, uh, you'll see that in 1988, something changed. Something changed with the IRA. Something changed with the Irish, the British, where they said, okay, enough. Enough of this bloodshed. And they began to have talks. They began to have negotiations. Eventually, they signed on Good Friday in 1998. So coming up here in in, uh, April 10th is going to be the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement that brought an end to the bloodshed that's been a peace ever since. The president of Ireland at that time in 1998, the president of Ireland, when she reflects back on how it all happened, she reflects back on the words of Gordon Wilson. And she says this. She says, Gordon's words shamed us all and caught us off guard. They sounded so different from what we expected and what, uh, and what we had all become used to. She says, they brought a stillness with them. They carried a sense of the transcendent into a place that had become so ugly we could hardly bear to watch. Uh, Gordon didn't know the plan But I think we can look back, and at least she's alluding to the fact that it does seem that God had a plan after all. That Gordon's words of grace toward his enemies who had just killed his daughter brought a sense of the transcendent into an otherwise ugly world. And it caught him off guard. That's different. And it got their attention. And a short time later, there's the Good Friday agreement that still holds. I I don't know. I don't know who your enemies are, and some of them might be serious. But if you're a recipient of God's grace, Jesus has died for you, and you've heard about him, and he's given you faith in him, and you've come to him, and you know your right hand from your left in so many ways because you know this worldview that God is the creator and that he has taken your sin upon the cross and the person of Jesus and he has risen from the dead to give you a resurrection and his kingdom is coming and you have this grace to understand the bigger story than just right in front of you today. If you're a recipient of God's grace, then you're also called to be an agent of God's grace to others, even your enemies. Because God wants you to be like him. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and relenting from sending evil on your enemies. Amen.